Welcome to KCADV Certification Series. You are listening to Module 3. And for future attachments and downloads, you can go to certification.kcadv.org forward slash Moodle. Hello and welcome. My name is Diane and I am here today and we are producing our first podcast at KCADV, the Kentucky Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And we're actually sort of starting in the middle of the module program. So even though it's our first, today we're gonna be talking about module three, which is understanding the impact on advocates and advocacy. And actually that is probably one of my more favorite modules because it's kind of just how we show up every day to do our work and how we take care of ourselves in this journey. So I applaud you for taking on this journey to be an advocate for violence against men and women and children and being a member program of KCADV. And I'm very happy to introduce um, my guest in the studio. So just to recap a little bit though, my name is Diane and I am the assistant director at Greenhouse 17, which is a member program serving central Kentucky. And Tisha Pletcher is with us today as well. And she is at the U of L University of Louisville's Peace Center. And she's also a coach in private practice. Hello, Tisha. How are you today? I am well, Diane. Good to be here with you. It's so nice to be here in person with you, right? This is, we, we were, is it trepidatious? Is that the right word? We're like, should we get close to each other? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what we should do, but it's really good to see you. So as you know, and you've done this module for a really long time, we're talking about understanding the impact on advocates and advocacy. And I think really we should a little bit start a bit in the beginning. So can you talk a little bit about how you sort of entered this work and some of those, you know, first sort of lessons or concepts or things that you want to share with folks that are listening in? What comes to mind as soon as you ask that question, Diane, is I came to this work very circuitously. Like I came to this work not knowing that I was going to land and stay in the work. So I had just graduated college and and this is really going to date me, but <laughs> I answered a classified ad for a job for what was then called the Kentucky Domestic Violence Association. And they had gotten a grant and they had a couple of positions for that. And when I came in and interviewed with the then director, Sherry Currens, this makes me cringe when I think about how I sounded during that interview, but I basically said, well, I'm only going to be here for about a year, uh, you know, if I get hired or when I got hired. And 20 plus years later, I'm still in this work. When I first started at, at what was then KDVA, within about, I think the first two weeks, the first week that I was here, Sherry wasn't even around. She was lobbying at the state house. I had no idea what I was doing. I just started making it up. I was working in the resource room, which was where all of the videos and the catalogs and the magazines and the mail and and manuals and things like that came in. And the second week that I was here was a board meeting. And the board meeting was being held downtown in Frankfurt. And what I remember is entering an elevator with three or four of the directors, and they were cussing up a storm. They were smoking inside the elevator and inside this hotel. And I have to say I was scared, a little bit scared of them. They were sort of badass, weren't they? I don't (laughs) know if we're allowed to say that, but they were a badass group of women. They were. They were. And what I learned also in in those board meetings, and, and I felt like a lot of the education happened in the board meetings, but also like in the evenings where we'd all be having dinner together and hanging out. And I would hear stories about how they opened the shelters across our state, how they would drive in their minivans, you know, and pick people up in the cornfields, how they would answer phones, you know, from their house, you know, for folks who needed to come in and get sheltered, how they worked alongside Sherry to literally create our first laws in the state of Kentucky. And I was scared of them and I was in awe of them. And I wanted, it very much felt like it was a club that they had, a sisterhood. You could tell they were best friends, that they were family. And it felt so much like a club. And all I could think about was, I didn't even know that I wanted to be in this club when I applied for that job. And I wanted to be in the club. 
And I think back to what we're here talking about today, this module in particular is about being in the club and what it does to us, like as club members, I guess you would right. say, how we're impacted by it when we like stamp that club card or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had a similar experience too. I was in a conference and I think it was in Atlanta and there was a few folks that were directors from other programs and there was another person who was at the attorney general's office and, you know, the governor had a task force on domestic violence at the time and, and you were seeing, you know, this history sort of taking place. Janet Reno, who was the attorney general nationally, was using Kentucky is a laboratory of things and all those conversations of Vine and Link and Project Passport about how your protective order was honored as you cross state lines and all of those things were starting to happen. And, and you didn't always realize that you were part of it. You looked like you were sort of an outsider watching in, but you were glad to at least have a, a seat at, you know, where you could view it, right? Mm -hmm. You were, you were in the room and you were sort of watching it, watching it happen. And it does sort of grab folks, doesn't it? Of being, I want to be part of that club. And the other thing that I think is so interesting that you said it, it, it was like a sisterhood and it, and it can be like a sisterhood of family, but that requires a whole lot of relationship building as well, because you have to be able to throw ideas and, and banter around with each other and debate around with each other. And I always love that about KCADV. And, and I always like that about our program, and I'm sure other programs across the state that really sort of, you know, push that envelope and push that conversation. And the only way to really do that is by challenging ideas and bringing different ideas to the table. So I love that. So yeah. One of the things that, that, that you just said that kind of sparked something for me is that word relationship. And I think to tie that again to what we're talking about today and even in the next module is that when we're thinking about power-based personal violence, that is violence that happens in a relationship. It happens with another person. And the healing of that oftentimes has to then happen in relationship. Mm -hmm. So when we have people come into our programs, so this is why relationships matter in our work. So first of all, for us as advocates with our, with the folks who are accessing our services, every moment that we have with them, we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get into module four and we're talking about some of our services, but every moment that we have with them it's another opportunity for them to have, you know, a moment, a few seconds of building trust, of building rapport, of rebuilding how to be in relationship with somebody when that had been violated. And I think with this module, when we're talking about the impact on us, how we're relating with each other as we're navigating this work is so critical. You were just talking about you know, and, and another word that was bubbling up for me as you were talking, Diane, is like, we, we have to trust each other enough to be in some of those hard conversations, whether it's within our programs, you know, with our directors or supervisors or our staff or our, you know, advocates who are working right alongside of us, you know, to be able to, to challenge each other and to have trust in like that we can ask those hard questions because this work can be really hard and which again is what we're kind of talking about today. Absolutely. You know, and it's it's interesting too because I think in a lot of public forum, it's an area that we are really seeing a decline in. You either are for me or you're against me. You either agree with me or you don't. And we sort of lost not not 100%, but I think we're yearning for it actually, but we sort of lost the idea of the exchange of ideas. I can still respect you showing up and doing the work, but we might have a different approach. And how can we kind of come to a, a better answer a better outcome, a better, if we, if we bring all those voices and we don't listen, this is sort of trite, but we don't listen just to get our next line in, right? But we truly listen to see where that person's coming from. And if we could create atmospheres of that, it helps our longevity in the work. 
as well as those magical moments that you're talking about when you're working with families, which I think is something that we'll talk further about in the module. But we sometimes disregard those intimate small moments and we tend to think big of programming and groups and you know all these things. But it's often the work is done in those very small moments of building that relationship with somebody and building that trust. Yeah, I, I love this conversation. And and so people that are listening in now, most of them are new to the work, right? They're starting out their certification or certainly new as KCADV, you know, members of advocates. And so they're coming to this work a little fresh. And we really want to make sure that we have conversations about things that we've seen over time that can kind of put barriers or, or be struggles, you know, that we've witnessed so that people are prepared, you know, that people are prepared in doing very hard, gritty. I use that word because you use it a lot. I think you taught me the word gritty. I, I love, love that word. Gritty. I love that word. I know you do. <laughs> yeah. So that gritty work, because just by tuning in and listening in, you're part of the club. But now we want you to be a full-fledged member of the club, and we want to hear your voices at the club. And that's the one sad thing we were talking as we we're preparing for this is I love the idea of the podcast because we can get this information out to lots of people. People can check into it, tune into it when they want. But yet we still are figuring out the ways to have the relationship and, and the one-on-one -on -one and the face-to-face -face, because I think it's so important to the work we do. But Knowing all that, we have sort of a list of things that, that we sort of see as typical of the struggles that advocates sometimes face. And the first one is stress and burnout, right? We see that right. often, which might seem odd for people just tuning in. They're brand new. Surely to goodness, they're not having stress and burnout yet. <laughs> Now you're sounding like one of those directors who was I in the know, elevator with I me. I know, right? What are they talking about? I, you know, went to the cornfield right. and picked someone up. But stress and burnout is real. And, mm -hmm. and, and we as fellow advocates need to support each other in that. And, and we want to have conversation around it. So what are your thoughts on alleviating that or helping with that? Yeah, I, I think we are not immune. You know, we can go through the Kroger you know, check out and, you know, all the magazines that are there as you're checking out your groceries and, you know, nine out of 10 of the magazines are going to have some, you know, headline about how to reduce stress. And, <laughs> you know, we're not immune from that just because we work in this, you know, magical place that is a shelter or outreach office. You know, you alluded a few minutes ago, like, especially now, I mean, my, my word, we're living through, like, it feels like our world is in chaos. It's breaking open, like, as we speak in so many ways. We're not immune from any of that. You know, we're going to experience the stress, the, the burnout if we've been doing it for a while, or if we're, you know, going into work, you know, 10 days in a row, like, we're, it, it, just like anybody else in any other position or any other job, we can have that just from doing, you know, the work that we do as advocates. So that's the first one is just paying attention to how our body is stressed, how our system is stressed, how our, how our spirit is stressed. You know, if we're getting burnout and we need to take a break. Many years ago when I was working with your crew, and when I say crew, let me clarify, because I'm looking at you and I know that you know what I mean by that. Right. But several years ago, I had the honor of working with staff at Greenhouse 17, and I got to coach many of their frontline workers one-on-one. -on -one. And one of your advocates who's still there, she was going through a period, you know, however many months into our coaching and her, her tenure as a staff person. And she just was getting tired. You know, she just was getting burnt out. And, and she was asking the questions of like, I don't know if I need to move on and find a different job or, you know, different field. And, and when I asked her, what do you need? Her answer was very clear. It was, I need to have three weeks off three weeks off of vacation. And when she said that, I about died because I'm thinking of you and Darlene, who as the, as directors would, like, how, would you, how are you going to respond to that when she asks for that? And so we worked, I worked out a plan with her, you know, we kind of coached her through like what she was going to say and how she would prepare for it. And all, and, and again, you probably can remember, she took the three weeks off. She took the three weeks to just paint and be out in nature and take little day trips. And she needed to recharge her spirit. And that's the burnout, 
right? But that could have happened to my dad was a banker. My mom was a teacher. They could be teaching so many, you know, months or days in a row or years in a row, and they might get burnt out from that and need to take a break just like your advocate did. That's what she needed. She still works for you, you know, however many years later. Right, right. It, you know, it's a couple things come to my mind as you're talking about that. And the first thing, I just want to say is we often say, and I love this philosophy of KCADV, and I've loved this philosophy of Greenhouse 17, that our work is rooted in women helping women. Like that, that's sort of the root. And we've certainly have expanded and we certainly offer services to, you know, men and children, but, but our root of who we are is women helping women. Well, with that, we're women too with, with personal lives and issues and burnout and stress. And I think sometimes people that are caregivers, which advocates have a tendency, right, to be caregivers, often feel guilty by being stressed out or burned out or I need to show up for people so I can't do self-care. Someone's depending on me. And I say this all the time at work, what you bring to your work is yourself. That's what you bring. You know, a butcher brings, you know, a sharp set of knives and a teacher brings their experience. But what an advocate brings is their self. And if their self is not well, then you can't do good work. And so you really do have to recognize those times of stress and burnout. And it's an everlasting journey. So I'm so appreciative of KCADV certification. And I think all of this, you know, these modules are, you know, stocked full of information. But it's constantly a journey of self as well, of who you are, how you show up, and, and constantly sort of massaging your, your own awareness and abilities. You know, it, it is a journey just as we, as we show up with families every day. I was a little late to that party. You know, I, I, I really thought I'm good. You know, I'm fine. I'm going to learn as much I can about intimate partner violence. And then I started digging in and, you know, Tish, I'm a hot mess, you know, but, but, <laughs> but lovely, you know, and, and I think I'm a better advocate of the self-work. I'm beginning to check my, my own balance and my own stress and my own biases and my own... I think it's amazing work. And so I encourage folks that are new to this field to start that work early. You know, it's a, it's a fascinating journey. Two things came up for me off of what you just said. The first one is the folks that we work with, the people who have gone through what they have gone through, they are the most perceptive people that I have ever met in my life because they've had to be right? They've had to anticipate the next, the next assault. They've had to anticipate the next, you know, the cycle of violence. They've had to anticipate that buildup that, you know, they had to. And so they, they're no dummies. Like they're going to pick up on everything that we are either holding in or not holding in. And I think the other thing that we know, and I think that when we allow ourselves to show up open hearted and to, and, and to use your words, like to be digging in and to be doing our work, that lets us, and I'm opening my arms wide right now, like it allows us to show up fully, open-hearted so that in all of our messiness, you know, it allows me to just show up as Tisha, like my heart talking to your heart or the person who's sitting in my office. And when I do that, the more that I can do that, like it makes me a better advocate. And it's about taking care of doing our own work and taking care of our hearts. We're back to where what we were just talking about with that stress and burnout so that we can show up that way every day. That's what our clients, when I say demand of us, I don't mean it's like they're demanding it, but it's what they deserve from us. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't want to lose the stress and burnout thing. I think it will kind of creep through through our conversation. The next piece that I wanted to talk about is role expectation. And this is the area that I sort of wrote the most notes because as an assistant director, it's the area that I see people struggle with the most, you know? And so I think there is this thought that I'm going to come in and I'm going to do this, you know, power-based personal violence, violence against women work. I've seen those women. I got stuck on that smoky elevator with them and they're like, <laughs> they're doing all this stuff. And I want to be a part of that. And I have been to more marches in the past four years than I've ever been in my entire life. My whole wardrobe is t-shirts because I've been to every <laughs> march that there is. And so, you know, we're wanting to take back, you know, our world and we're, you know, 
fighting for justice and we're doing these things. And now here I am as an advocate at the, you know, domestic violence program, part of the KCADV coalition and all this honor. And I'm coming in and I'm plunging toilets and I'm changing beds and I'm, you know, doing this gritty, to use your word that I love, again, I'm doing this gritty work. And so how do you begin to keep fostering that anticipation and excitement and being part of, but you're in the dailiness of, of people's lives, right? And that's where, again, I think it's where the magic happens. I truly right. do. But how do you how do you feel that and stay connected to the larger issue when that's sometimes a mm -hmm. part of your daily work? I think the first thing that comes to my mind is, is the being aware of it. You know, the, the naming of, gosh, what I thought this job was going to be, it's not really what it is on, you know, on the hourly basis where I'm plunging the toilets and I'm buying the toilet paper and I'm, you know, mowing the lawn, you know, in front of the shelter. So I think it's about being aware of it. I think it's about noticing it. I think it's about getting curious about it. It might be even grieving a little bit of like who I thought I was going to be or what I thought this, you know, job was going to look like and, and getting curious about the magic, the magic moments. I think in this, to circle us back to what we were just talking about, when I can find myself on the daily and my, my days, you know, from one day to the next are not dramatic, you know, when I can find myself dropping in with a student, you know, with somebody that I'm working with and is going through one of these forms of violence, and I'm allowing myself to be human with them, that's the dailiness of it. There's nothing jazzy or, you know, I'm not on a stage in front of thousands of people. I'm not famous. I'm not winning awards. But when I'm there and fully present with them, like that to me, when I go home at night, I'm like, that's what life is all about is being able to, we're back to connection. We're back to relationship, right? right? But there is this loss. There is this challenge. You know, the, the reason why this is in our list is it is one of the challenges that we can face because sometimes we can come in as new folks starry eyed and thinking that it's always going to be that rage in the street activism, you know, like, and it's, and it's not. You know, it's not always that, I don't know, that show right. dramatic. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Big. I, yeah. I think there should be a module on love, right? You know, like, like I was sort of looking at people and looking at professions or looking at people that do this work well, you know, and I, as I think advocates do this work well, but, you know, I look at parents, right? And I look at mothers and I look at nurses and I look at teachers and I look at, you know, and, and they're not, most nurses are not showing up to cure cancer, love to cure cancer, love to maybe go to a symposium on that, but they're showing up every day to care for the person and change their bandages and, you know, and, and help them go to the restroom and they're, and they're caring for them. And if you look at a person's healing process, you know, of who that person that can show up, it's again, doing that care for that individual. And, you know, I, I, don't have children, but I think parenting is probably one of the most thankless jobs, right? We don't do that for the gratitude that we receive. We do it because we love and we care. And I do think there should be this new, you know, push on love and gratitude in advocacy work. I think just as any of those professions, sometimes it's good to have a little toe out in another area so that you do go and, and maybe do a march or you participate in the vagina monologues or you do something Thing that kind of gets you out into the community and breaks up a little bit of that dailiness to be inspired, to bring back ideas, to stay fresh. I think that's critical to do your readings or your podcasts or your, you know, go back and listen to this podcast so many times. It'd be so delightful for people, I think, to listen to, but, but stay in it. But you're showing up with love and care does monumental work. 
And I think we don't give it the value that we think because we think, oh, I, I've sat with so many staff of like, I have to come up with the best group and the best concept and what am I going to do? And six months later, you're like, how's that group content going? Oh, you know, I got to think about it, I gotta, whatever. And it's like, well, okay, I'm really glad you're excited about this and doing it, but just show up, like just show up and check in with someone and ask how they're doing and be with them and fix dinner with them and help their kids get ready for school and just be with them. And that in itself is monumental work. One thing that I was going to say is this business, the, the part where you were talking about the, and we still have to keep keep some action in going out to the march yeah. or going out to do this or that. And it's interesting that you speak of that because the literature, the research on how do we stay in this work for the long haul and how do we take care of ourselves, one of the answers is to make sure that we're varying what we do. So it's, it is really challenging to not get burnout or to stay, like if you were just answering the crisis line for 50 years, right? So sometimes we'll see what helps advocates stay in the field longer is maybe they start as an outreach worker, then maybe they come into shelter a couple of years later, then maybe they work with the kids, then maybe they're just getting so frustrated with, you know, the whole shelter scene, maybe then they need to go out and do prevention in the high school. So they're on the prevention hopeful side of things, you know, then maybe then they go to some trainings and they become a supervisor or a director, you know, but it's that, it's that changing things up. And we're back to role expectation, you know, of letting and curiosity and letting ourselves continue to meander and respond to where we can best be of service. I think that's important because there's lots of ways to do this work. And some yes. people do get, so I think this is a check and balance too. It, it also is doing self-reflection to go, this is what I thought I wanted to do, but maybe this isn't right for yes. me. Don't give up too soon. We, I, yes. I have been taught since day one that this is about a three-year process to get grounded in the work. Now, that doesn't mean you can be a screw up for three years, but it's about a three year process. So, so to feel confident and competent and comfortable in your skin as an advocate, three-ish years. But, but there are other ways to do this work. If you find that you're in a domestic violence program and outreach services is not where it's at for you or shelter services is not where it's at. We had one woman who I, I well, I won't mention her name, but but she's did our work for a really long time, still with us, right? And many folks that are listening in know that we have a farm at Greenhouse 17. She walked out those doors out into the farm, and she, I don't think she's returned yet into the building, you know? <laughs> she she wanted to do this work, but that she needed to get out of that. She needed to be in nature and working with women in the field and growing her flowers, and that's what she needed to do. And we had that opportunity for her to do it. So she created, recreated herself, reimagined herself. Herself, which was, you know, really cool. And she's still with us, which makes me so happy because she is the Yoda of our program, right? I think that that's an important piece of don't be too hard on yourself, but keep kind of digging in and don't underestimate the power of just showing up for people. It, it, is, it is strong advocacy work. That's sort of my piece in that area. Yes. You ready to move on to the next one? Sure. The next barrier. Of yeah. It's hard work. <laughs> what are you all doing? <laughs> We're not trying to scare you I all. Know, I know. I know. The next uh, one that I wanted to talk about is trauma response and triggers, which I remember being at a KCADB conference years ago. They had those clickers, you know, where you can anonymously oh, yeah. respond mm -hmm. to things. Mm -hmm. And somebody asked in the room, you know, how many people have experienced power-based personal violence? I think it was for themselves, but it could have been themselves or a close person. And right, we would say one in three, one in four. Those are the numbers sure. we toss out there. 85%. 85% of the advocates in the room had experienced intimate partner violence. And so we know that people come to do this work often because it's a calling. They've Absolutely. had experience of it. They've witnessed it and they want to help and give back. I see women in the shelter say that to me on a daily basis. Yep. How can I volunteer back? How long do I have to stop receiving services so I can give back too? It's really a beautiful yes. thing. Oh, it's beautiful. I, yeah. Almost uh, weekly, we, I have that in my office oh, as I bet. well. I yeah. bet. So, so one of the things that I often look at with them, right, when I have a uh, family that's saying that or a woman that's saying that it's like we got to get you past your healing 
you know, process for as best you can. Again, it's a journey, but we want to make sure you're well, you know, and you're, you're grounded and you're safe and you're stable. You have an anonymous person who's coming in to interview for a job. You don't, you don't know those things. And so I have to imagine that many people that are wanting to work with us also have that history and experience. So, so how do you sort of begin to deal with that? Two things come up for me. One of them, I'm going to speak to what you actually just said first, and that is, I think it is on us as potentially for all of you listening, you know, someday you might be like a Diane and be an assistant director or director at a program yourself. And I do think it is on us, even in those interview processes. That's a long (laughs) word, isn't it? There's a lot of S's in there. Yeah. Um, But even during interviews, I think like to talk about- That is leadership right there. You couldn't say the word and you just changed the word all out. That was really impressive. So I was modeling some- Yeah, sorry. So- um, But I do think it it is on us, like we might not be able to ask those questions like flat out, you know, that it's probably illegal (laughs) to ask some of that. And I'm not suggesting that we do it. What we can do, though, is talk about some of the things that we're talking about today that of these challenges, you know, talking about secondary trauma, you know, like. I think that is actually part of our ethical duty to do that, to almost, I don't want to say warn people, but to have those conversations ahead of time so that they can be thoughtful about, is this the right time for them or the right position for them or not? The second thing, back to just trauma responses and, and triggers. So the content, for all of you listening, the certification content has, has, is encouraging us to move to the language of, of trauma reminders instead of using the word trigger be, because of all that, it, that can come up around that word. So when we say trauma reminder, if you've heard the word trigger before, that's, that's what we're talking about. And it can be a challenge. You know, it's another thing that if, if when we are in a new job as an advocate, or we're even there 20 years later. But if we're hearing, you know, story after story after story that is reminding us of what we ourselves went through, or maybe our family of origin went through, we're going to have our own trauma response, you know, or if we're not doing our own work, or if we, ha- you know, have done it, we, our bodies are, are designed. And I know one of the modules for certification is all about the neurobiology of trauma. We're not going to get into all of that today, but there is a neurobiological response of, you know, what happens in our body when we, when we have that trauma reminder. So we can't always predict that happening. You know, we hear somebody's name or we hear a sound or we hear a story again that reminds us. The, two years ago, and this is a really personal thing to share, but I'll give my example of that. A couple of years ago, my teenager was going through a really, really hard time. He was coping in a way that wasn't the best coping strategy. And it just so happened that that fall, of course, every single student that was coming into my office was talking about using that same coping mechanism. And when I was actively engaged, going home to my son who was experiencing that same thing, I was getting, my whole system was reacting every single time I had a, you know, a student come in and sharing what they were going through because I was thinking of him. We're back a little bit to where we started before in that if I'm getting distracted by that trauma response that's happening in my body, I can't be showing up fully 100% open-hearted, completely focused on this person who's sitting in front of me. We can't get down on ourselves when that happens, but we have to be able to recognize it. And then we have to be able to have other folks who could step in to then work with that person so that we could step out and maybe work with other folks who aren't, you know, sort of bringing up those reminders for us. Am I making any sense? You're making complete sense. And it popped into me too, when we were talking way back about the importance of the relationships within the, within your advocacy space is being comfortable to have those frank conversations when when sometimes we have to tell our fellow advocate, I'm worried about you, you know, because yes. sometimes that is a really difficult thing sometimes to come forward to say you're struggling or it might be a personal issue and you don't want to share. And I don't think we need to out people and, and get too, you know, we need to respect their their privacy. But if when we see that someone is is having a hard time showing up it is it is imperative that other advocates 
meet that person lovingly, but also point out that you're not showing up. You know, we're not right. doing the work. It, you know, we we owe that. I think, as you said, the women that we work with deserve that. And that's how we kind of support one another. We have to build those relationships so that we feel safe enough to, to have that and safe enough to ask for help. And you mentioned earlier as well that part of your past work that you and I had done was that you did coaching for our new staff. And, you know, I kind of owe you uh, to a degree an, an apology. I don't know that you know that I <laughs> do, but, but you know, I, as I said, I'm doing self-work myself and people should just get it together. Like, just get it together. <laughs> I, I, I really didn't have a whole lot of patience for it. I did because I knew I needed to, but I didn't get it. And so you were going to come in and you were going to work with staff to do vicarious trauma. And you were with our director, who also is similar to me, get it together, show up for the women, put self second, like all that stuff. But noticing the difference between the staff that were with you and their longevity in the work and how they've managed. And, and you stopped working with us partially because they'd all had coaching with you for a long time. And we had staff that were there right. for 15 years, you know, for, they're still there. Right. They won't go away. They're still there for really, and I'm so glad for a long time, but we've had for the past five-ish, six-ish years, a new, you know, crew of people. And I'm seeing the struggle right? Because we hadn't embedded in that coaching, that support. And so we're starting to do that again. So if you are listening in and you have the ability to begin to think about what is the support mechanism, I think we talk about that at, at module four as well, but, but what are those mechanisms that we can do to, to, to support advocates on their journey and their wellness and their self-care do it. If you if you're at a if you're at a program that's not able to go there yet or they're still kind of figuring that out, you need to create it yourself. Yes. You need to create yep. it yourself, whether that's informally, whether you're able to afford coaching, whether your health insurance allows it, whether you have a support group. We have a monthly support group for advocates just to, to bounce and talk things, you know, out. We initiated again or reinitiated our tree of trust, oh, yeah, which Tisha so sort of started. But, you know, when we were finding that there was a lot of tension and bristling going on in, in house rather than just being grumbly for weeks, we finally, somebody would call a tree of trust and we would go literally, right? Sit tree. out under the maple tree <laughs> in a circle and we would sort of call each other out. Lovingly. Lovingly. And we would say how we are feeling, talked in I statements, how we were feeling, how this was impacting and really try to come to some resolution. And we needed the break of getting out of the building, going outdoors, going to this sort of sacred space. And, and that didn't cost any money. Right. It was free. So I really, really do encourage anybody who's listening, whether you're administrative and you can put some uh, formalized plans in, fabulous. If you're new to the work, build in those informal work within the program and just in your own self-work. One thing I would caution is you can't always trust your, or not trust, always count on your advocates to be your personal therapist Absolutely. too. I see that sometimes there's a sharing and I'll have other advocates go, I can't handle the weight of this work and so-and-so's issues. Like I can't do right. both. That's an unfair you know, ask. So I, I, I think that that work is important. So Tisha, I am so sorry that I, that Darlene and I really were like, okay, cool. Come on in, do this work. Noticeable difference between people who had the coaching versus people that did not have the coaching. I, you can just see it. Yeah. I think we need, this a, is a whole conversation for another day, but coaching and I actually KCADV staff hear me say this on the regular right now. There's nothing magical about coaching. I think coaching is actually almost identical to advocacy, which is why I think we all kind of get it and can do it. But it's about holding space. We're I'm, we're echoing ourselves all morning. It's about holding space, showing up open hearted. It's about like empowering the person in front of you, them holding space for them to empower themselves. I think we we need to have our own little second track for certification that's just about teaching people how to be coaches. I yeah. think like yeah. so that so that that's happening. You know, 
a hundredfold yeah. um, for all of our, our folks. I see Lisa over the corner of my eye. So I have a second module on love, just love yes, and compassion. Love and, and then, then yours on coaching. coaching. So yes. our module program, because now you could do podcasts. We could do 50. We So could. many. Yeah. We yes. could. And then, yes. And you can just check them out. Business plan. Hmm. I need the one on coaching. I'm going to yeah. listen to it today. I think it's a wonderful idea. Okay. <laughs> Transference. Yes. So this is another challenge, right? It is a challenge. What we're talking about here when we're talking about transference, and there was some thread of what we were just talking about that reminded me of this too. We'll see if it comes back to me. But when we're talking about transference, what can happen to us sometimes is we can start responding to the person that we're working with in our job, in shelter, in outreach, at court, wherever we are. But maybe there's something about them that actually reminds us of something from our past that could be good or bad. And we actually might start relating to that person based off of our experience that we'd had, you know, back whenever. So again, I'm echoing what we were just talking about. That prevents me from showing up heart to heart and person to person with the person who's right in front of me, if I'm treating them like the person that bullied me in fourth grade. Yes. (laughs) Because they're not the person who bullied me in fourth grade. But maybe then I'm not able, you know, to be as open or maybe I'm more reserved because I'm trying to protect myself or maybe I'm avoiding them a little bit and I'm not showing up as fully or having all those appointments that they might want and need because of, again, what's happened back here. So that's what transference is, is when we're kind of, again, having our own reaction, our own response to something that maybe we hadn't fully dealt with in our past. Does that make sense? It does make sense. One of the things that I hear, particularly of newer staff say, and it fits back with what we were talking about, who shows up to do this work, tends to be people who have experienced it at some point in their life. And one of the biggest barriers I find in getting the community at large to buy in, I don't know if that's the right word, but buy into the support of working towards ending intimate partner violence. There's a lot of myths out there, a lot Mm -hmm. of personal experiences that really kind of muddy up the reality of a person's experience who is suffering from intimate partner violence. And new staff can sometimes be guilty of this too. This was my experience and I'm going to advocate from a place of my experience as opposed to take a moment learn, you know, steep yourself in the history and the research and the data because your experience was your experience, but you might've had a bad judge or you might've had different barriers or you might've had this going on. That is not the advice, although we're not in the business of giving (laughs) advice, but we we can slip into that. We have to be careful that we don't presume everybody's going to respond like we responded when we were in the situation. Not everybody's experience is going to be the same. So I love go-getters and I like people that jump in, but at the same time, make sure you're jumping in from a place of knowledge and non-judgment and and uh, take yourself a little bit out of that equation right. and be curious. You mentioned the word curious before it's my it's really my favorite word gritty is my second favorite curiosity is my first be curious of what's going on with that individual you can't safety plan well with a person you can't connect with a person if you don't know what's making them tick what's going on the best way to figure that out is to ask them Mm -hmm. don't sit back we do this right we do this at greenhouse 17 well you know what i think she's doing well you know what whatever i think this is what's going to happen it's like well for the (laughs) love of goodness go ask her like just walk down the hall and talk to her oh that's a novel idea we'll do it for 45 minutes and then someone will go um has anyone talked to her it's like oh well that's an interesting concept and there we go you know (laughs) But that happens quicker and quicker and quicker the longer you've been doing this work. So I think that that is transference fitting in as well. Sure. But I do see that happen a little bit. We operate from our own from our own experience. Yeah. Yes. Well intended most of the time. Very but. well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to kind of pop into secondary trauma, which is... A, a little bit. We've been talking a lot, but this is kind of the um, meaty subject mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. and how we begin to sort of transform secondary trauma. So, in that same thing of our own experience and triggers and and transference, secondary trauma certainly is is a worthwhile subject as we're jumping into advocacy. So, food for thought on that. I don't want to 
say that one of these challenges is bigger than the other, but like you just said, this is such a meaty one. And I think we're not doing the work if we're not having some kind of experience <laughs> of secondary trauma. I think it's an occupational hazard. So when we're talking about secondary trauma, in a nutshell, what we're talking about is just by listening to story after story after story over a period of time, story of trauma, story of trauma, story of trauma, story of trauma, over and over and over and over and over again, then we can, as advocates, we can start to secondarily experience some of those same signs and symptoms of trauma as if we were in the middle of, of a traumatic you know, experience and, and having symptoms and signs after it because we'd experienced it directly. So of course, we're not the only professionals out there that are at risk for it. So doctors and police officers or, you know, EMTs or, you know, all kinds of folks can also experience. I just actually just read an article about some of the doctors on the front line fighting the coronavirus, and it was all about secondary trauma um, and what they were going through, you know, with the intensity of their caseload and not having institutional support and and then literally seeing people suffer and oftentimes die. And and while my heart felt for them as I was reading the article, I just kept thinking, and that is exactly, in our advocate version of that, that's exactly what advocates are dealing with, you know, on the daily just by doing this work that we do. We can't escape it. Like I said earlier, I'm not trying to be whatever, a jerk when I say this, but like, I think if you think you've not had a secondary trauma, it either means that you're fooling yourself or you aren't, you aren't engaging with the work enough back to open hearted and meeting people, you know, from a place of like really being present with them when we're really present with them and when our hearts are open and we're working to to support them as in our advocacy, like we, of course, we're going to be impacted. These stories are hard to hear. It is an occupational ha hazard. I think one of the things to keep in mind as a, for all of our newer advocates listening in is that it's not avoidable, but it can go like up, up and down. There are different things that can impact it or make it worse or better. So things like if your caseload is really high, that might mean some of your signs and symptoms are going to increase. If you're working with kids, if that's your primary job, that also can make it harder on you because you're working with a really vulnerable population. If you've had your own experience of it, that can make it hard on you because, because of what we were just talking about with the trauma reminders. Also, if you're a person Person who is highly sensitive, then just because, again, your whole body, your whole system is picking up on everything in your environment, you're also going to be picking up on more things that, again, could increase that secondary trauma um, or your signs and symptoms of it. So I keep saying signs and symptoms of it, but we're really, what I'm really talking about is if you think about all the signs and symptoms of trauma that you might see in any person coming into your program, any person or family that you're working with, people who can't sleep, who are having nightmares, who are depressed, who are anxious, who are withdrawn, who are angry and rageful, who are hypervigilant, you know, all, I mean, we could go on and on and on about all of this, this list of all these symptoms that we see and all the folks that we work with. All of those are things that we could be experiencing at any given time as well. So, and they, those, that list of things might change. Like I might experience different things than you do, Diane, or what I might experience right now might be different, you know, because of where I'm at in my life and what's going on in my own personal life than what I might've experienced 10 years ago or 15 years ago. So we have to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, of, of paying attention to, we're back to awareness and curiosity and just paying attention of what's happening for us on any given day to know sort of what, what we're experiencing and how, sort of how high or heightened the secondary trauma might be. I just talked a lot, so I want to pause for a second and see what's coming up for you yeah, as I talk yeah. about. I was sort of chuckling internally a little bit as we're inviting people to do this work and show up and be present and really dig in and, and meet those moments when then we go, because if you're doing this work really well, 
You're, <laughs> you're going <laughs> right? to experience secondary it's, trauma. And if you're not, you're probably not doing the work well. But, I know, but, sorry but I think this whole module really is about let's not pretend this work isn't hard. Yes. Let's not pretend that it's all, you know, fluffy and, and, you know, rose colored. It is hard work. I, we just hired somebody a few months ago. And at the end of the interview, he was like, are you trying to keep me from taking this job? <laughs> and I, I really started interviewing from a process of trying to let people know all of the, the muck the reality, um, the reality of it, and I, I kind of like to live in the world of muck, but you better be ready for yes. it. And and the other thing that sort of came up to me is I don't know who sort of used this example, but it's, but it's meeting people with kind of a soft belly but a hard kind of spine back. Like I love, I love that. Is that Brene Brown? I don't know, but I heard that too. But I also heard another one that's similar that. Said I so don't want to like Brene Brown, but I love I know, her. You keep referencing Brene <laughs> Brown. I know. I know. There's a woman, an author, and I don't know. She does a whole bunch of stuff, but her name's Danielle Laporte, and she has a blog post out that talks about open heart, big, and I'm gonna cuss here, big fucking fence. So she talks about it in that same way, yeah. of like open heartedness, but you gotta protect yourself yes. at the same time. Yes, you do. And 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 there's either a tendency to do really open heart with no fence, right? right? Or no back bone right. or yes. spine, or you've walled yourself off and it's impossible for anybody to permeate or penetrate yes. that wall. And so you can't be hurt, right? I can't be hurt mm -hmm. because I'm just sort of blocking out my vulnerability. And again, that's not good work. So mm -hmm. you either really can be messy because everything is just seeping in mm -hmm. and you're kind of being spilly all over the place, or you've, you, it's a, it's a balance that you just have to figure out how to meet people open-heartedly but then also be aware secondary trauma is going it is going to happen and what i like about the the next piece of this is if we know this how do we prepare for it right, right how do we right. like don't wait till it happens and then right. go i guess i need to put a plan together <laughs> you know maybe you in, maybe you initiate your plan at that point but a plan better be ready. And, and also how do you, how do you organize your day? You know, like personally, I, I kind of thought I was immune to secondary trauma. Like, I, you know, I'm fine, but, but I also looked at my life and my home life allows me to retreat and it's safe and it's quiet. So I could deal with lots of you know, muck. muck for, you know, eight hours. And then I could go home and replenish. I had time to replenish. And most of the times that carries me through. Once in a while you hit a story or a person or a situation and it doesn't carry you through. You need a little bit more. But most of the time I'm able to arrange my life in such a way that allows me to recharge and go back in. And then it's like, a, like coach, take me out. You get back out, right. you know, and then you can go back home and, and replenish again. But not everybody has that ability. Or you might not even have that again at any given year or month That's or right. whatever, right? That's right. So we have to be prepared. And like you said, have that plan. One of the sort of the easiest little ways to remember, you know, kind of what to respond to. And there might even be a question in your certification exam. I'm looking at Lisa. I don't remember, but it's, we use this, is this an acronym? ABCs. So, and that stands for awareness, balance, and connection. And actually we've been talking about all of these things all morning, but the awareness part of it is just paying attention, paying attention to those signs and symptoms, paying attention to your body, paying attention when you might be reacting to somebody or having that trauma reminder and taking in all of the data, you know, all of the senses and maybe not just what your brain is telling you, but maybe what your heart is telling you, maybe paying attention to, oh my God, I keep waking up a gazillion times a night and I can't sleep or I'm feeling depressed. Like those are some signs and symptoms. So it's being aware of that. One of the things that advocates can do, you know, there's like a little um, chart or a checklist of what some of these signs and symptoms are. And I really encourage everybody to on a regular basis, you know, whether that's weekly or monthly, but to take a look at that and just circle the things that are coming up for you so that from one month to the next month, you can kind of track, is it going up? Is it going down? What else is going on, you know, for you in your life? Can you make some adjustments to make things easier, sort of, you know, uh, lessen some of the signs and symptoms that you're having. So paying attention, that awareness is the first step. 
the B stands for balance. And I, I'm kind of not a fan of the word balance because I think it's, we think we're going to arrive in like the land of balance and then everything's going to be beautiful and, you know, wonderful. And I think it's, we're always, it's, it's like an amoeba, you know, our lives are in our work are always like changing all the time. What, what we mean by balance in this way is really paying attention to, am I, am I letting work take over, you know, my time, my energy 24 seven? Am I getting out and doing other things that I'm interested in? Do I have some other hobbies? You know, am I practicing, you know, spiritual, practice that I love? Am I, you know, like, what else am I doing? Am I spending time with family or friends? Or am I just doing work and coming home and not doing anything else? So it's it's really taking a look at kind of how you're spending your time and energy and making sure that you're kind of opening things up and kind of balancing it so that work and these stories don't suck everything out of you and take up your whole life. The last piece, the C, is connection. And, and we, again, have been talking about this you know, for the last hour. It's so, so important to figure out ways that you can have connection to support you in processing this and to have your own support team, like we were talking about with coaching and we were talking about it with your advocates. And this could be, again, every single person's gonna have a different plan of what their their connection sort of plan looks like. It might be going to church. It might be getting out in na- nature and connecting with something bigger, you know, in our world. Maybe it's making sure that you're connecting with friends or a book club. We used to have a book club eons ago, and we'd get together once a month with people that we love. So it's it's figuring out that connection. One of the things that I want to say I haven't said already about just the this connection piece, and it goes back to some of the neurobiology of trauma, is that we know, and we know we see this actually all the time with our folks in our programs, and how they relate with us as their advocate or other people who they're living with or their family, like, and we're no different. We heal when we can co-regulate with somebody else. That's partly why the coaching worked for your staff, having another safe person to meet them in a place where someone could come, and again, can you hear how this is mirroring what we do as advocates? When we as advocates are holding space for somebody to come and they just need to vent and we can meet them with empathy and we can meet with, God, that really sucks. That is so hard. I hate that for you. When we're able to do that and when we're able to receive it, our neurobiology can start to relax and to calm down. And again, the, the brain, the neurobiology research on this tells us that when then we're able to kind of all of those chemicals and all of that stuff starts to recede and we're kind of getting out of our lower survival brain, that's when then we can access our upper brain, our thinking brain, our planning brain. That's when we can have a plan. We can't always do that when we're by ourselves. <laughs> it just doesn't right. work. So that connection, that co-regulation, even for us as advocates is really, really important. Mm-hmm. So, so, so many things kind of, I'm glad, I'm so glad you brought up nature because as you know, as, as you know, and for folks that are listening and we do have the farm out at Greenhouse 17. And I do think a lot of people sort of thought, well, why in the world would, you know, Greenhouse 17 have a farm, but there is so much research on trauma and um, PTSD that being out in nature, being out outdoors, getting your hands in the soil, taking your bare feet on the ground right. actually has this amazing ability for healing. They have work that of folks that are in a hospital and they have a window versus if they don't have a window, their healing process changes if they can look out the window take advantage of those same things yourself. Yes. So we can talk about programming that we have for the families that we serve, but are we taking advantage of free ability, right? It's relationships can can be free, you know, our partnership with each other and our advocates 
getting outside during the day, taking a walk, stepping outdoors, putting a plant in your office, looking out a window, those things can sort of help and begin to sort of replenish us and be that ongoing sort of fuel. So again, we're not waiting, like we're just not waiting for this wave you know, of, right. of exhaustion and trauma, but we're just slowly, you know, or, or maintaining and building as we go. And all those things can be, you know, so, so important to us. I wanted to, to mirror back also when we started in the very beginning, we talked about this work taking a while, right, for us to, to be grounded in it and that three year for whatever reason, that kind of magical three years. And so, so to last in it and to be present in it, give yourself, you know, some grace as you begin to explore, find out what works for you. But in those relationships, find out what works for other people as well. So you're beginning to always sort of build and build it into the into the fabric mm. of how you're programming and how your dailiness sort of works. I, I think I think people sometimes when they 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 begin at an agency, they they don't realize the impact that they can have, you know, like it's it's for other people to make those decisions. It's for other people to make that work come into fruition. But as advocates, right, in our nature, we should be also leading the way. And there are small ways to sort of do that. So build it within, you know, your relationships that you currently have. So yeah, I I, I think, as you said, naming it, putting it out there, knowing that these things can, that are going to pop up. And if they're not, being reflective, you know, constantly as to how am I showing up? How am I doing this work? I'm not experiencing this. Am I being too, you know, stand, am I backing up a little mm -hmm. too much? Am I, am I entering it fully? And if so, how do I sort of begin to prepare for this? And when those things sort of What's the new word for trigger? As those things trauma sort of reminder. trauma reminder, as those things start to happen, dig into that. Like that seems to be like the new space that I'm in a little bit. Like, why is this? Why is this troubling me? Why am I reacting to this so much? Is it a personal thing? Is it something that's been left on the table, but unattended to? Is it, why is this coming up to me so much? So, you know, I'm, I'm sort of an even keeled person and I hit a blip mm -hmm. and something sort of spikes with me and I'm really trying to look at it. The last thing before I come back to the next part and then we're about done, we've kind of done this lovely, I think. We're really good at pointing out, I think, other things that are impacting what our women are experiencing and our families are experiencing. And, and, but coming to our program, so I'm talking really to our shelter advocates now, mm -hmm. that in itself is its own trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Coming in and Absolutely. living in the shelter is in itself. Yes. And we can be in a protective way or in a defensive way, just kind of do, well, that's just community living. That's just that's just hard. Happy to talk to what brought you here. Happy to talk about your history and, and, and what's going on with the, the abusive partner or your children's exposure, you know, to violence in the home. Or I'm happy to talk about this and I'll be on your team on this. Oh, that's hard. That's terrible. But you have to share a room with someone and you don't like that. Well, that's just community living. Get over it. Yeah, get over it. Showing up with that same empathy of this mm -hmm. is hard and this is why we have to do it and explaining why we're doing things. I think to a degree, sometimes we've lost the art of apology a little mm -hmm. bit. I'm sorry, this is hard. This happened to you and now you have to live with 40 other women and kids. That sucks, but really glad you're here. And this is why we have to do this. And thanks so much, you know, for, for doing that. So I think all of those things can, I'm sort of, I sort of flipped it a little bit, I guess, into programming, but I think all of those things sort of kind of come together in that sort of secondary trauma and how we respond and how we how we show up every day. Did that make any sense? It made to you so okay. much so much I sense. I thought I was on a ramble. Okay. Good. No, I, I think it's I think that's a really good example of a lot of things that we've talked about of like I think the reason why we don't always do that is because we're afraid of what people might say or what their reaction might be, or we're, we're afraid of how the, our capacity to handle it. You know, well I don't if if they get really PO'd because they have to share a room and that's the only option that I have to give them. Like, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do or say. And we get all right. freaked out about that. 
And what we have to remember is that the only way, again, we're back to that neurobiology, the only way to get people through is by starting with the empathy. Like that's what is going to create the path to then being able for people to kind of wind down a little bit to be able to get into a more uh, solution-spaced spot. One thing that we haven't talked about, and I don't know, maybe this would be a good place for us to wrap our conversation, but one thing that we haven't talked about is celebration mm. and honoring and how that is so, such an important ingredient in this response. Uh, and actually, I did not plan this, but to take us all the way back to that woman that I was in that elevator when I first started this job, the grant that we worked on was a rural domestic violence VAWA grant. And as grantees, we went to Duluth, Minnesota um, on the regular to get some training from some also some pioneers in, in the field. And one of the visits that I had there and we would be there for like three or four days at a time. And there was a group of community, you know, advocates who led the training. They were amazing. They were the ones who created the power and control wheel, like for those of you who are familiar with that document. And one, one day we walked in the second or third day that we were there for our week of training. And the, the head of the training, Ellen Pence, she said, oh, we, had a, we had a woman who won, you know, her court case yesterday. So we're all going to gather tonight, you know, before supper, we're going to gather and we're going to celebrate at this, like, you know, I think it was like a theater or something. They were going to hang out there. We want all of you to come with us, like if you're able to come. And that stuck with me of just, that didn't cost anything, you right. know, it didn't cost anything, but it said, we acknowledge and we see you, you know, we're going to pause what we're doing tonight for a few minutes and we're just going to celebrate this momentous experience for the, the person and the family that we're working with and also the hard work of the advocates like around her, you know, and so the more that we're able to do, I think, moments like that. I think that's also what can keep us going <laughs> from year to yeah, year yeah. In, in doing the work that we do. Because we're back to, it's not always pretty and exciting in the dailiness of it. Right. In the right. grit of it. Right. I think so too. You know, we we talk a lot about it at, at Greenhouse uh, 17, but but I don't know, that, but we're not great at it. And, and even from just, you know, you picked up the phone and you left your house and you walked through these doors. What Absolutely. an amazing, brave move that is. And women often are feeling like a failure when they walk in those doors. And to flip that, to change that narrative, to go look at the strength, the resiliency you did to come in and then ask asking, you know, families, what is it that they want to honor? Is it, is it 30 days sober? Is it, you know, having a play activity with your kid? Cause you never were able to do that. Was it that you attended five groups that week? Yeah. Is it that you finished some paperwork that you really struggled with? Whatever those, those occasions can be. And, and, and the same, I think, with, with advocates themselves, you know, like find those little milestones and they don't have to be big, but find those little milestones that you can celebrate and honor your, your journey in, in, in this work as, as advocate. And I think it probably is a good time to close at this point. And going back to your piece in the very beginning of, you know, if you're listening into this, you're part of the club. And we are so happy to have you as part of the club, no matter where you are. Day one, if you're rebooting and you're, you know, year 10, that is fine. Happy to have the discussion. Happy, you know, to, to have people join in, all voices, all thoughts. And I, I always love a good debate. So I'm always happy to have folks that are new to the work. So thank you so much for being here with Thank us today. You. Thank yeah. You. Thanks to all of you out there too. Yeah. What you do every day. 